This afternoon, the scripture reading is Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 34. And there we read the word of God as follows. Then one from the crowd said to him, Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then... God clothes the grass which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown in the oven. How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, And all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves with money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens which does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, There your heart will be also. So far, the scripture reading. And we read that in connection with what we confess in Lord's Day 42 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 42, page 557 in the Book of Praise. And there we confess the word of God as follows. What does God forbid In the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. 
God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, but also such wicked schemes and devices as false weights and measures, deceptive merchandising, counterfeit money, and usury. We must not defraud our neighbor in any way, whether by force or by show of right. In addition, God forbids all greed and all abuse or squandering of his gifts. What does God require of you in this commandment? I must promote my neighbor's good wherever I can and may. Deal with him as I would like others to deal with me and work faithfully so that I may be able to give to those in need. So far, our confession. Brothers and sisters in the Lord and boys and girls who belong to the Lord as we saw here earlier on. You shall not steal. Another commandment given by God to his covenant people in order to show them how to live as free people. In New Testament terms, as people freed by Christ from the slavery of sin and the devil. And he shows them how to live then with their possessions, also with each other's possessions. Because covenant people still still retain that old sinful nature which wants to get and hold and use possessions in a wrong and sinful way. So we need this commandment today too. And I proclaim to you the eighth commandment with this theme then, our possessions. We pay attention to three aspects. First, a gift. Secondly, a prohibition. And thirdly, a command. First of all, a gift. In the last part of the first answer of Lord's Day 42, you notice that we confess that God forbids all greed and all abuse or squandering of his gifts. So we confess here that whatever we possess is a gift of God. Food and drink, clothing, house, car, etc., etc. Everything can, that can be bought with money, things we need to live, extra things which we have to make our life more, uh, more pleasant. As God's people in Christ, we have to see all these things as gift from God. What do you have, what do you have that you have not received? Nobody can make grass grow. Nobody can cause cattle to grow. Nobody can provide rain and make the sun shine. Nobody's able to give himself health and life or stop God from taking those things away. No one. All those things are ultimately gifts from God. We read that too. Do not be anxious about all those things. God gives those things. He gives growth. He controls the weather. He gives life and income. All we possess comes from Him. We need to acknowledge that in the first place. And you see, when we do acknowledge that, that makes a big difference in how you deal with your possessions. Imagine imagine two people living side by side. One of them has a beautiful house, 
a mansion. He put all his money into that house, making it and the landscape beautiful, furnishing it. And the other person is temporarily camping out on his property in a tent. He has a house in town. He's just there temporarily camping out. And on a certain day, there's a big storm and a rush of water sweeps everything away on those two properties. The one man with the big mansion lost everything. The other one lost his tent, but he still has his house in town. And see, Christians ought to see their life here like that man in the tent. We're just camping here temporarily in this life. Our real home is in heaven with the Lord. So whatever we don't make our own here or whatever we lose here isn't as big of a deal then, you realize. But if we're overly attached to this life, if we invest all our expectation and energy and resources into our home here, we won't have anything to hope for when this life is devastated or comes to an end. And what an anxious and restless life you have here then too. What if I lose what I have? Or maybe you even avoid thinking about that possibility. Like the rich man in Jesus' parable, you live as, as if nothing can take away your stuff from you. But how poor you are then if all you have is this life. See what a difference faith in Christ makes as far as how you possess what you possess here. If you know that your real home is in heaven and you're just camping here, your life is not all about your stuff. Oh, it'll still hurt if you, you lose things, if you lose what you possess here, or you never get to possess something that you'd love to have. We're all flesh and blood people. But it would make a pretty big difference, wouldn't it, if you know that everything you possess here is just gift from God and that your real home is in the house of your Father in heaven. You possess differently here. And there's something else to think about as far as our possessions here are concerned. We receive everything we have here via Christ. Via Jesus Christ. He, in fact, earned it for us, if you think about it. He was deprived of everything on the cross so that we might have possessions here. He went hungry and thirsty on the cross so that our Father would give us the food and drink we need. He had no painkillers for his terrible pain there on the cross so that we might receive the medicine we need here. He hung naked on the cross so that God would give us a clothes closet full of clothes to wear here. He hung there exposed to the elements so that we might have houses given to us to protect us from those elements. He was forsaken by everyone so that we can enjoy fellowship with other people here. He was deprived so we might possess 
we might receive. We receive what we have then via his pierced hands. So again, all we possess here is gift of God through Christ. And it's all extra, if you think about it, it's all extra besides the forgiveness and the renewal that we, and the everlasting life promised at our baptism, as we heard earlier at the baptism of little Blake. And if you accept that it's all a gift from God, and that your, your possessions here are the, just the extra to that, you can enjoy it too. Truly enjoy it. In fact, I could say you need to be a true Christian to enjoy what you have. Then the smallest things, the everyday things can give you a lot of enjoyment. And that's because you see your Father's hand in that. You see Christ's mercy in those things. And then you're going to be thankful too. And then you let God tell you what to do with your possessions too. You want to serve Him with it all. His kingdom, His glory. And if you see what you have as a gift from God in Christ, then you'll be contented with what He gives you too. I received this from, from my God in Christ. The Apostle Paul, for instance, said he had learned to be content with what he had and what he was. He had learned to deal with having plenty as well as with having want. Even if someone else has a, a lot more than you, you learn to be content with what God gives you as you journey toward the celestial city, your eternal home. Because God knows, we read that in the scripture reading, God knows what you need to get there, what you need to make progress in getting there. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, you realize from all this, there, there's, there's lots of room for us to grow in our thankfulness and contentment, isn't there? With respect to our possessions. Our attitudes also as Christians are so... so mixed with sinful feelings yet and motives, right? We often take so much for granted. We all too often deal with our possessions so thoughtlessly, right? We can eat and drink that way or buy new clothes or a new car or, or a house like that without thinking about God, where He fits in all of this. Or take medications with, without thinking of them as earned by our Savior's pain and suffering? And, and don't we sometimes act as if the life we enjoy here is all there is? This is it. And we need to get everything out of it we can. And then we possess it like the world which doesn't know God. And don't we all too easily become discontented with what God gives us and then end up murmuring? Murmuring like the Israelites did in the wilderness every time again? God promised he would take care of them on their journey. Every time again, they murmured to him, complained, were discontented, and were no different than they were. And don't the eternal things, if you think about it, don't the eternal things have too little place in our hearts yet, congregation? 
and how prone we are to take pride in our possessions and to show them off as, as if we gave it to ourselves or as if we made ourselves more worthy of, than, than others to possess these things. And you know, you know what it all comes down to then? Those kind of things, that's actually robbing God. We rob God that way. We rob Him of the honor He has a right to from us for giving us what we possess. And we rob Christ of the glory He deserves for earning for us what we enjoy here. And you realize that possessing things here is a minefield of sin for us, right? Oh, Father, we pray, please search me and show me where my sins are in this regard so I, I seek your gracious forgiveness in Christ every day again and so I seek more and more the regenerating work of His Spirit in me so that I see it all from you and that I use it all for you. Help me to possess what you give me rightly to your glory. We come to the second part, a prohibition. Our possessions, gifts given to us by God to enjoy in thankfulness and to honor Him with. Congregation, that's why He gives us that strong prohibition in the Eighth Commandment then too. You shall not steal. Basically, you shall not take or destroy someone else's possessions which God has given them to honor Him with. You deprive that person from the possibility to enjoy and use his, his or her possessions to God's honor. But it's not only about the outward act of stealing or cheating then. You realize this sin goes deeper. It's like a plant, a poisonous plant we could say. Through which you know, poisonous sap flows. And then there's fruit on that plant. And the fruit is then overt stealing that belongs to someone else. Stealing what belongs to somebody else. And there's two kinds of that fruit according to answer 110 of Lord's Day 42. Outright theft and robbery. In other words, stealing punished by the courts. Stealing a car or a bike, for instance. Obviously forbidden, prohibited. But we could narrow that down to even very small things like a loony, or a candy from your mom's purse or so. You might think, ah, that's insignificant. It's no big deal. But the Bible says that if you already break this commandment in the really small things, you will also be capable of stealing something much more substantial. But then there's also the stealing that involves defrauding your neighbor by force or by show of right, it says. That's another fruit on this plant. It's Stealing that's very subversive, hidden. Like a grocer tampering with the store's weight scale so that it shows less than the produce really weighs. Or, or like being creative when it comes to paying your taxes. Having a bill of sale made out for less than you paid for a vehicle. For instance, looks legitimate, but it's not being honest. You're dodging the tax. Well, congregation, those, those two fruits of theft are fed by sap from the branches of, of that plant. And we could call those branches the plans we make. You figure out how to get your hands on something 
or how to avoid paying for something. And those branches of scheming grow out of a stem of discontent. Dissatisfied with what God in His goodness gives you. Not trusting that He will provide you with all good and avert all evil or turn it to your good as He promised at your baptism. And see, that stem is then supported by roots. And the roots are the attitude which, doesn't take, which don't take the, the, the future into account. The future promised to those who belong to Christ. The same attitude as the rich fool in Jesus' parable. Wanting as much possession and pleasure as possible here and not thinking about the fact that life here is temporary. Not thinking about what happens when I have to leave this life. And therefore busier with earthly things than with heavenly things. More focused on a good job than living for the Lord. Happier with more pay than with the forgiveness of your sins in Christ. More striving to increase in possessions than to increase in a life of holiness. And that attitude, that root, then forces the sap from those, that root through the whole plant and feeds all the thoughts, the plans, and the deeds. And it's the sap of unbelief, of greed, wanting more, not being content, not seeing what you have as gifts from God. Sometimes when the doctor suspects there's something wrong with your health, the doctor will take a biopsy. And he takes a small piece of a person's flesh or skin to see if there are any cancer cells in a certain part of his or her body. Well, this commandment takes a biopsy of your heart and your life to see if there are any cells of greed in your body, bad cells in your life. And the result of that biopsy is alarming for all of us because there are bad cells, aren't there? Cells of greed in all of us, in thought at least, but also in plans and sometimes deeds, covetousness. Like with Zacchaeus, that short little tax collector who climbed up in the tree to see the Lord Jesus. Jesus said to him, come down, Zacchaeus, because today I'm going to stay at your house. And when Zacchaeus received the Lord as guest, And he stood there before the Lord. He realized what kind of person he was, a sinner. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor, and if I stole from somebody, I'll restore it fourfold. See, that the diagnosis needs to bring to repentance. And then there can be forgiveness And then the healing takes place. Then you want to stay away from anything that can cause covetousness to grow. Greed. Like lotteries which run on greed. Or shows where all kinds of luxury items are displayed to make you desire them. So this commandment prohibits 
acquiring possessions in a wrong way, but in Lord's Day 42, we also confess two prohibitions with respect to what you do with those possessions. In addition, God forbids all greed and all abuse or squandering of his gifts. Now, here, greed is wanting to keep everything for yourself, and you hate to give anything away. That's what is meant here. Not even for good causes. You hate giving away to good causes because that means there's less for me and for my savings. You only see what you lose, not the good you do for someone else. A miserly person will always say that you shouldn't waste your money, and of course it's wrong to waste money, and it's good to save it, but that doesn't justify greed. So with this commandment, God forbids greed, stinginess, tight-fistedness. But on the other hand, the opposite, God also forbids abuse or squandering of his gifts. Throwing away your money on all kinds of things that you want fancifully, gadgets, fancy toys, and so on. Once you have them, you kind of lose interest in them. And then that means not being able to control your desire to buy for yourself, possess for yourself. Somebody who squanders money will always say that at least they're not greedy, not penny pinchers. But that doesn't justify their squandering and abuse of what God gives. Squanderers have no self-control. They can't wait to buy this and lay their hands on that. And the result is usually that there's nothing left for charity or church. Everything is for yourself. Spending $100 on yourself in the store, no problem. Giving $100 to help a charitable organization, ah, that's painful. Hard, gives me a stomachache. Oh, congregation, when we consider all that God forbids in the Eighth Commandment, we realize how far short we fall in obtaining and using our possession, God's gifts, as he wants us to use them. And hopefully that brings us to see, too, how much we need Christ. How much we daily need the washing away of our sins with the blood of Christ and the cleansing of his spirit to renew our hearts and lives yet. It brings us to Christ. And how does God want us to do with what he gives us then? And that brings us to the last part of the sermon, a command. Question 111 are what God requires of us in this commandment. Every prohibition in the law has a positive side to it. On the flip side, it's positive. He doesn't want this, but he wants that. You could say the first question and answer are all about taking, wanting to take. The second question and answer are all about giving away. A whole different position of the hand. Instead of a position to rake it in, it's position to give away. And the first thing that is that I promote my neighbor's good whenever I can or may. If you think about it, you know, it's as if we're looking at the profile 
of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Think of that well-known passage, Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He, he had glory, but he, he gave it up, and he gave himself completely for us, emptied himself for us the apostle paul writes to the corinthians though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich he promoted his neighbor's good by giving himself for us so that we might have peace with god and life forevermore and so if you think of him if you truly belong to him then you have the same attitude. The same attitude of giving. Through his giving love, you more and more become free of the hold that greed and squandering has on your heart. And your desire will also be to give, to promote your neighbor's good. And besides giving of your income, there's also giving time and attention. Those are two important things you have to, to, to have time and attention to, to some, for someone else, to give that to someone. Time and attention can even be more useful to give to a neighbor. Because then you're not just busy for yourself, but you promote your neighbor's well-being. And your neighbor can also be your own husband or wife or children or parents or grandparents. It's easy to be busy for yourself with your business and with personal hobbies and all kinds of things, recreation. God commands us to be involved with those he has placed beside us in family, in church, or in our street. That's letting his light shine in your life, having the attitude of Christ. In fact, as we confess question 111, he commands us to deal with others as I would like them to deal with me. That requires the attitude of Christ for sure, doesn't it? What would I wish if I was poor or sick or lonely? I would appreciate others to help and support me and to spend time with me, wouldn't I? Someone once said that you can divide your time into three parts. Time for yourself, time for your friends, and time for others around you. And then you need to ask yourself, where does most of my time go? Most time for myself, a bit less for friends, and pretty well no time for others? You realize that according to what God commands in the Eighth Commandment, it should actually be the other way around. Much time for others, also time for friends, and less time for self. Something to think about. And answer 111 also mentions working faithfully so that I may be able to give to those in need. And that speaks about how we are to acquire money by working faithfully. That's the normal way of receiving income. And that's why it can be hard for someone to have to depend on benefits and maybe also charity. You want to be able to earn your own income. 
And that's also why the Bible in numerous places also condemns laziness. That's not normal. In Proverbs, the Spirit condemns the sluggard and points to the ant as example. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Christian is commanded to have good work ethic. And then not just work to earn for myself, work for my own advantage, but also to be able to give to those in need. So if you have work and income, or you receive pension, the Lord expects you to put aside money to help people in need. People who are out of work, or unable to work, or infirm, or disabled. In the Old Testament already, the Lord didn't want there to be people in Israel who went hungry, or who were uncared for, or uncomforted. He didn't want that in Israel. He made laws for that purpose. And it's no different today. God blesses those who think of those in need. And it says in the Bible, it's better to give than to receive. Say you get a nice tax rebate. Wonderful. And then say that you're able to give a good donation to the work among the poor in Haiti or so. When did you feel better? When you received that tax rebate or when you gave for others? The Bible says when you give, you will feel better because you belong to Christ who gave himself for you and you feel good to follow him and to honor him by giving. Congregation, when we listen to some of what we confess about the eighth word of God's covenant with us, I think we all have to acknowledge a lot of shortcomings in connection with our possessions, don't we? If we look at ourselves, not only are we so inclined to do what God forbids, we're also just as inclined not to do what He commands, what He wants from us. And we fall so far short in so many ways. Congregation, let's let this commandment humble us in the first place so that we seek that washing away of all our sins in Christ as was signified and sealed with Blake's baptism here. He, the Lord Jesus, gave himself up completely for us. And let's then seek also that cleansing of our souls and our lives with his spirit. So that we more and more see our possessions as gifts of his grace to be used for his honor and glory and our neighbor's benefit. And let's pray constantly that this life, that Christ's life may mark our life here in such a way that others say to us, you're obviously in transit to somewhere else here because you deal with your possessions so differently than others. And then you can say to them, oh yeah, I'm just camping here. I'm on my way home to my Father's house in heaven. Amen.